We're going to talk a little bit about worship today. I want to talk to you about how to overcome anxiety. You know, we live in a very anxious culture. We have a lot of things that can fill us with fear, uh, that can take away our sense of peace and contentment. And I want to talk to you about what the Bible says about how to combat that, how to beat it, how to overcome it and walk in victory over it. Because anxiety can just swallow you up. It really can. It, it fills us with fear. It takes away our sense of joy about the future. And one of the very important weapons that we're going to talk about wielding today is actually our praise. You know, when you lift your voice and you start singing like Paul and Silas in that prison house, that's when doors start opening up. That's when chains start falling off. So when there's good worship going on in the house, I'm just ready for action. That's what gets me, gets me excited. So we're going to go to Philippians chapter 4. How to overcome anxiety. Philippians chapter 4. Just uh, four verses of scripture that we'll be reading there. While you're turning, I'm going to pray. Holy Spirit, we ask for your presence and your power to continue to be with us today as you have already been. God, I think of our pastor's words this morning at the 10 o'clock service that we don't ever want to be a church that has water with no wine. We have teaching. We have instruction. But we don't have any truth. We don't have any freedom. We don't have any transformative power. God forbid that we should ever come to that place, O oh Lord. I'm looking to you, Jesus, to do something supernatural through your word today. God, these are not my ideas. This is what you have said about yourself. So Lord, our expectation is on you to back it up. Our expectation is on you to come and show yourself true and faithful and strong. Lord, I pray that everyone who feels bound by fear and bound by anxiety today would find liberty. God, they would find strength to fight in a way they never had before. And God, that they would have the grace and the touch from you to lead others into that same freedom. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Philippians chapter 4, starting at verse 4. Paul writes and he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know, I've learned uh, over the past decade of teaching that good material is never very far away. And sometimes good material finds you. And literally, as I was sitting at my desk preparing this message for today, a little notification popped up at the bottom of my screen from my news app, and it said CDC uh, releases a, uh, a new report on American life expectancy. And, you know, out of curiosity, I clicked it, and the article was so grieving that I decided to take some of the elements of it and just quote a few facts to you from uh, the CDC. Again, that's the Center for Disease Control, uh, and it was their report on how American life expectancy has declined over the past few years. We're not living as long. And if you look at the numbers, it's not by much. It's maybe, you know, a couple tenths of a percent. But you're talking about people's lives. And that always matters. It doesn't matter if it's a thousandth of a percent. It matters because it's a person. And if that person is not saved, they're entering into a Christless eternity. It matters. And those things should catch our attention. But it said that the largest two reasons why the life expectancy is dropping in the U.S. is because of suicide and drug overdose deaths. In 2017, the drug overdose death rate rose 9.6% from 2016 with 70,000, 70,237 people dying by drug overdose 
many of it because of the opioid crisis. The suicide rate since 1999 has risen 33% in this country. Currently, there are 14 suicides for every 100,000 people in America. This is why we need the power of the Holy Spirit. Only God will do for what we're facing right now in our country. And, you know, maybe there's people in this room who sometimes fear becoming a statistic. You know, maybe there's some in this room who sometimes wonder if you're going to wind up one of those numbers. I want to tell you, in the name of Jesus Christ, you do not have to resign yourself to that faith. There is a way out. There is freedom. There is victory. There's victory over the, the spirit of suicide, that influence to want to harm and take away your life. There is freedom uh, from addiction. There is freedom from that kind of bondage. But listen to a quote from the article. It was by a man named Peter Sullivan. He quotes uh, Robert Redfield, the director of the CDC. He said, the latest data show that the U.S. life expectancy has declined over the past few years. Tragically, this troubling trend is largely driven by deaths from drug overdose and suicide. Life expectancy gives us a snapshot of the nation's overall health, and these sobering statistics are a wake-up call that we are losing too many Americans too early and too often to conditions that are preventable. But the answer isn't going to be found in anything that man can produce. Our government is not going to save us. They can't save us. We need God. We need the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the only thing that has the power to save people out of the crisis that we're facing right now. And this has very much to do with our topic today of anxiety. Because when we're all wrapped up in fear and insecurity and uncertainty about the future, it can drive us to do some really irrational things that maybe we never thought we would do. So many people have resorted to drugs or other forms of addiction as, as coping mechanisms. They can't handle the reality they're living in, so they desperately try something else thinking this will medicate the problem. And they only exchange one form of slavery for another. But we're going to a God this afternoon who's able to break chains and open prison doors no matter where a person is coming from or what they're involved in. And the letter of Philippians is written to people who are suffering, but it's written by a man who is also suffering himself. And you have to understand that because it makes the commands that we just read through in verse 4 through 7, and they're commands. They're not suggestions. These are biblical commands. It, they, they sound really out of whack. They're hurting. He's hurting. And he says, rejoice always in every situation. And again, I say rejoice. And then he says, don't be anxious about anything. Now, remember, they're suffering. They're being persecuted for their faith. They're facing possible arrest and imprisonment. They're facing being outcast from their society. And this guy is telling them, don't be anxious. Don't give in to fear. Don't live under it. Now, Paul is on house arrest at this time. He is a prisoner of the Roman Empire. He's awaiting trial before Caesar. So he's not got it much better. And he's telling them, don't be anxious. Don't be full of anxiety. Don't be afraid. And he's commanding them. 
not to let it rule their lives. But he's writing from a place of understanding. Now, why this is important is because what he does in the letter is if you read chapter one of Philippians, he references what had happened to them, sorry, what had happened to him when he first preached the gospel to them. Read Acts 16 sometimes. It's a wonderful, wonderful story. This is when Paul first goes to the city of Philippi, the group that he's writing to in this book, and he's there ministering, he's preaching, people are getting radically saved and turned around, and then everything comes to a head when this demon-possessed girl, she's, she's speaking things that sound godly, but they're actually quite deceptive when you look at it, and Paul delivers her. He casts the demon out of her. And she was a slave. She was the property of a couple men who were making money off of her, her soothsaying, her false prophesying. And they're so angry that they've lost their income because that's all she was to them. They're so angry that they've lost their income that they drag Paul and Silas before the high court of the city, say, these men have come to stir up trouble and they're, they're undoing our, our society. They're a threat. You need to lock them up. So they get beaten, thrown in prison, and the prison guard is told, don't let these men out. And so Paul is referencing that in chapter one. He says, you saw what I went through when I was among you, but you also saw that it didn't overcome us. That's what he says in chapter one. And what he's telling them to do now in chapter four, to not be anxious, but to pray and to give thanks and to rejoice. He's telling them to do the things he did in that prison cell. He's telling them to do exactly what he and Silas did when they were locked up under persecution because they were preaching the gospel. In other words, he's basically telling them, listen, you know this works. You've seen it work. You're suffering just like you watched me suffer. You're suffering for the same gospel, for the same Jesus, by the same persecutors, but you also know that the same overcoming power that operated in us is operating in you. So when you're feeling attacked with fear, when you're feeling attacked by life and anxiety, it's time to pray. It's time to sing. It's time to praise God and rejoice. That's what he's striving at. You saw us do it, and God tore the prison apart. And he didn't just set me and Silas free. He set all the other prisoners free. Every door opened. Every chain broke off of people. And everyone walked out. The jailer got saved. And he's basically telling them, listen, you know this works. You know prayer works. You know praise works. One moment in the presence of God just undoes hours and hours of anxiety and worrying and fear and upset. That's how strong it is. This is supernatural. You know, they're doing studies right now. They found that singing is actually good for your brain because when you sing, it releases endorphins and everything like that. And I'm like, that's kind of not a good thing because listen, I'm really not interested in anybody, anybody trying to psychologically explain away the miracle that happens when we come in this house and we praise God. You know, I understand that God designed our bodies to work a certain way and that there are good responses that we can have and you can explain it chemically, but that doesn't take away the mystery that stands behind it. Listen, you might be able to sing, because they're not talking about Christian music. The study was about just music in general, like it feels good to sing, you know? Go to any concert and you're going to have people releasing all kinds of chemicals in their brains depending on, <laughs> you know, who it is and what it does. And so, yeah, there's definitely some kind of hormonal chemical release happening, but it's not a good thing. But that's very different from what happens in here. It has to be. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. Chemical releases in your brain can't break addiction off of your life. 
Chemical releases in your brain aren't going to stop you from hurting yourself or taking your life. You need a miraculous deliverance that only God can do. What happens in here is miraculous. What happens in here is supernatural. You can't psych yourself out into deliverance. You can't psych yourself into spiritual freedom. It doesn't work like that. God's going to do it or it's not going to happen. And so when Paul is telling them to do these things, he's not giving them a one-two step, how to trick your brain into spiritual freedom. That's not what this is. He's saying, listen, there's such supernatural power available to you that if you will open your mouth while you're in prison, if you will sing while you feel like you're in a cell, if you will pray while you feel like you've got shackles on your feet, you watch God tear that prison apart and bring you out and give you the power to take other people out with you. Not just to walk yourself into freedom, but to lead other people into freedom. Now, I'm already preaching, but I have points I need to bring up on the screen for you. So we should do that. First of all, what is anxiety? This is the first thing I want to go over. Anxiety is fear based on apprehension about possible danger or misfortune. It's the fear that something bad could happen. And it could look like anything. And it's got you all knotted up inside. Anxiety is fear based on apprehension about possible danger or misfortune. Something bad could happen, and that's got me all tangled up inside. Now, coupled with that, this is a really important point. All fear, all fear is rooted in uncertainty regarding the character of God. All fear. Let that sink in for a second. Whether you're afraid of the dark, you're afraid of the future, you're afraid of money, you're afraid of relationships, all fear is rooted in uncertainty about the character of God. All of it goes back to that in some fundamental way. It's not like you'll be able to look at every single fear and say, well, clearly I just don't believe that Jesus. It's, it's more at the root of it. What you are afraid of is the symptom of a much deeper sickness that's going on inside of the heart. And the fundamental root behind fear is that I don't know if God's going to be there. I don't know if he loves me. Is he pleased with me? Will he provide? Will he be faithful? Will he protect? At the root of it all, does he love me? That is the fundamental question behind all fear. And so when we're in a state of anxiety, of course that's, what the, what's, that's what's at the root of it. There's this anxiety, this fear. You know, God, are you going to... You fill in the blank. What's got you knotted up inside? Behind all of our fear is a question about whether or not God can be trusted. And so the way that we fight fear, this is the second subpoint, we fight fear by acts of confidence in God's character. That's why you pray. Because if you pray, you're acknowledging, you know what, I can trust you. You'll hear me. You're listening. And so I'm going to talk to you about what's got me fearful right now. The thing that's got me feeling overwhelmed and overcome, I'm going to bring that to you. So you fight doubts about the character of God by doing things that reflect confidence in the character of God. That's why the solution to anxiety is to pray and to praise. Now, secondly, anxiety is always to be counteracted by prayer. Anxiety is always to be counteracted by prayer. Look with me really quickly at, uh, again, in verse five, in, uh, sorry, verse six, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. In other words, there are no restrictions. There are no restrictions on what, where, or when we can pray. None. 
I've come across people who have been convinced, like if you're not kneeling when you pray, God's not going to hear you. I've heard people say, if you do not finish every prayer with in Jesus name, it goes unanswered. Beloved, that sounds very noble, but it is superstitious. It's not biblical. There is no special formula. The only formula that's given in the Bible about prayer is Psalm 62, eight, where it says, pour out your heart before him, all you people. That's the one formula, even the Lord's prayer. All Jesus was doing really read critically what he was saying. He was basically telling the people that, Hey, you can be brutally honest with your father. You can tell him whatever is bothering you. You can talk to him about your needs, about your temptations, about your fears, about where you're not like him. You can talk to him about all of it. There is no special formula other than open your mouth and believe that he's there. Believe that he's listening. That's an expression of confidence in the character of God. And as we do that, we find ourselves walking in victory over anxiety. Now, the second principle that goes with that, anxiety is always to be counteracted by prayer, but prayer must be coupled with thanksgiving. It must be coupled with thanksgiving. It's not just about asking. It's also about thanking. Prayer must have gratitude as a critical component in it. We'll look again at verse six. He says, in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Why? Well, I can't give you a better reason than one of my favorite uh, Bible teachers named Gordon Fee. He said, a lack of gratitude is the first step toward idolatry. A lack of gratitude is the first step toward idolatry. Think about in Romans 1, where Paul says that they were neither thankful to God, they neither honored him as God, and so God gave them over. When we live within gratitude, when we cannot see, when we're so overwhelmed by the things we're going through that we just, there's nothing to say thank you for. Life's too hard right now. Life is too miserable. If you really loved me, then, and we start saying things like that. No, beloved, a lack of gratitude is always the first step toward idolatry. It won't be long before we start setting other things up in our hearts. It won't be long before we start giving our trust and our affections away to things that only Jesus should be having. Prayer must be coupled with thanksgiving. Now, a second thing about thanksgiving, this isn't on the screen, is that when the apostle Paul talks about giving thanks, he's talking music. He's not just saying, write down, count your blessings, name them one by one. Like He's talking about sinning. It, singing. It includes the idea of praise. To thank God is to praise him. And this is where that idea from Acts 16 comes in. He's telling the Philippians, listen, you're feeling anxious because you're suffering. I was right there with you. Do what I did. You need to pray and you need to sing. You need to sing about the wondrous love of Jesus. Sing every reason you have to be thankful. It is not hormones. It is not chemicals. It's the spirit of God coming upon you in power. Opening prison doors, breaking chains off. This is miraculous. Pray and praise is what he says. Always couple your prayer with thanksgiving. Don't just go in complaining to God and, and, and griping about how hard things are. Listen, we're allowed to pour out our hearts in an unguarded way. But when we can couple that unguarded prayer with thanksgiving, what we're doing is we're acknowledging, you know what? It's hard, but you've been good to me. It's really hard. It hurts, but you have been good. So I might not understand. I might be in a lot of pain, but I'm not going to accuse you. And that is the best thing that you can do for yourself. That is the healthiest kind of prayer that you can lift up to God. So thanksgiving. Make that a fundamental part of your prayer. Sing a little bit. Sing your favorite worship song. 
Sing about, and don't sing this, you know, some of the shallow stuff that's out there. It's all like oohs and ahs, and there's like maybe one chorus, you know, and it's, it's kind of deep, but not really, you know. Sing something with substance in it, you know? And I love, like, some of the songs we sang today, even, or I, I'm a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I mean, they're just singing scripture, man. That's, that's Romans 8 coming out. Sing something with substance. Call your heart to remember what God has done. You know, move your heart through singing. Just, I'm going to celebrate and sing about what Jesus has done to liberate my soul. I have every reason to be thankful. And when we start singing when we're in the prison cell, that's when you find doors open up. It's like, wait a minute, this thing ain't locked. The devil can't lock me in here. And you open it up and you walk out the door. And then you start trying other doors. Hey, anybody in there? Oh, all right. Hey, guess what? Jesus can set you free too. Those chains, yep, the Holy Spirit can break that. There is a Christ who came to this earth 2,000 years ago, died so you could be forgiven of your sin. He paid the price so that you wouldn't be under the wrath of God. Oh yeah, my life is hard too, but it's good. I'm not going to hell anymore. So it might be hard right now, but eternity's looking really awesome. Eternity's looking great, you know? And instead of letting your pain define God, instead of letting the nine to five define your theology, you have a heavenly perspective and you have every reason to be thankful. And it's easy to say thank you. It's easy to remind yourself of the blessings. Pray and praise, beloved. They work. They work. Now let's talk about the peace of God though. What is the peace of God? Is Paul telling us that when you do this, you should feel immediate tranquility. All the bad feelings should go away. The situations should change. It gets a little tricky there. It may involve that, and it does involve that sometimes. But I don't think that's what he's saying should be the universal experience across the board. But I want to tell you what he is saying is the universal experience. This, I, I want to tell you what I believe Paul is saying must be felt. And if you are feeling the peace of God, then this is what it's going to be like. Now, the first thing that I want to say about it, again, if you look at the screen, God's peace is powerful and aggressive. God's peace is powerful and aggressive. It's anything but peaceful. Okay? Now, not for you, but for the enemy. Let me explain what I mean. It's powerful in the sense that, as he says in verse 7, the peace of God which transcends all understanding. In other words, by transcending your understanding, it means it doesn't matter what your thinking is like. You could feel like you've got just a whirlpool of confusion and fear going on up here. But the moment you say, God, I trust you so much, I'm going to sing about it. I'm going to lay my burdens at your feet. That peace is able to come no matter what's going on up here. In other words, you do not need to mentally collect yourself. You don't need to get your emotions in order before the peace of God can come. No, the peace of God is stronger than your turmoil. And it's able to come upon you even when everything's going crazy up here. In other words, God doesn't need your help. He just needs your voice. It's that simple. He doesn't need your help. He just needs your voice. His peace is powerful, but it's also aggressive. Now, where's that coming from? Well, he says, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds, will guard. Now, that's a military term. You read this in Greek. It's a military term that the Philippians would have caught immediately. Why? Because the city of Philippi was a Roman military outpost. They had a huge garrison of soldiers outside the city because they were very wealthy. They were very important as a, as a community. And so the Romans stationed a whole garrison of soldiers there. You had a whole bunch of the population that was made up of retired uh, officials and generals and commanders in the army. And so 
they've got this whole outpost right outside their city wall so that if anyone dares to attack the city of Philippi, that whole legion of soldiers kicks into action. They grab their spears and their shields and they go to war and they're going to keep the peace. And so when Paul says the peace of God is going to guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, he's using imagery that would have been so powerful to them because it was part of their reality. You mean God's peace fights for us like those soldiers fight for our city? You mean Jesus fights for my mind? He fights for my, my sanity? He fights for my calm and, and my peace the way that those soldiers are ready to fight for my neighbors? Paul's like, exactly. That's exactly the point. You know, we've got National Guard. We've got police force. We've got a military. If any threat comes against our nation, we've got people that are trained to respond with action and fight against whatever's threatening the nation, the community, etc. And Paul is trying to say that God is so committed to giving you peace in the midst of your turmoil that he's going to fight for it. Jesus fights for you. When you feel like you can't fight for yourself, you're too overwhelmed to barely lift your voice. All you can get out is a whisper. Paul says, listen, the peace of God's going to fight for you. He's stronger than any garrison of Roman soldiers. It, when he sees the enemy coming in like a flood, he's going to be the one to step out and say, uh-uh, this far and no further. You don't get to take their sanity away from them. You don't get to take their peace of mind. You don't get to deceive them into believing the only way out is to end it all. You don't get to lie to them like that. You don't get to tell them that I'm not with them, that I've forsaken them, that I'm angry, that I'm disappointed in them. No, he fights for you, beloved. Jesus is fighting for you. He fights for your mind to have peace. He's that committed to you. If you look again at the screen, this peace comes when and while we pray, no matter what state of mind we're in. It comes when and while we pray, no matter what state of mind we're in. You don't need to even get to the amen before God starts helping you. You don't even need to get to what you're asking for. The moment you say, Jesus, he hears you. He hears you and he's fighting for you and he's for you and not against you. If the Lord is for me, what can man do to me? What can the devil do to me? What can darkness, what can lies do to me? God's truth dwells within me. And peace comes. Peace comes. Now again, building up to this question, what is it exactly? That's what it does. What is it? Well, again, if you look at the screen, the peace of God, this specific phrase, the peace of God is an Old Testament concept. And that's very important. Because there are times peace is discussed in the New Testament, and it's simply the Greek word, erene, it means lack of conflict. There's no war. There's no fighting. When, when Paul says in Romans 5.1, we have peace with God through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, he's saying Jesus has removed the conflict between you and God. If you're a born-again Christian, you and God are no longer at war. You are his adopted child, and he loves you. But then there are times he specifically speaks of the God of peace or the peace of God. And when you see that specific phrase in Paul's writings, you, you can bank on it. He's talking about the Old Testament concept of shalom. It's not the Greek mindset where lack of conflict. It's the Old Testament Hebrew concept, which carries a lot more weight to it. There's something else going on. And I want to unpack what that is. First of all, again, on the screen, shalom means well-being or wholeness. It means well-being or wholeness. It's not just a lack of conflict. It's not just that there's no fighting. It means you're not falling apart. It means you're not fractured. 
You're being held together. You're not losing it. You're actually being sustained. You are maintaining wholeness in your life. And Paul says, this is what's going to keep you from God. Secondly, God gives us his wholeness when we feel broken. When Paul says the peace of God that transcends understanding will guard you, will fight for you, he's not just saying God's going to make the conflict go away or you're going to feel instant tranquility. He's basically saying, no, you might feel like everything's falling apart. He's going to keep you together no matter what it's looking like. It could be raging in your mind. It could be raging outside of you. Things could be going crazy in life, on the news, whatever. He will hold you together. The peace of God that transcends your understanding goes beyond your confusion. It's stronger than your depression. It's going to hold you together. You might feel like you're dangling by a thread, but there's a divine arm that's got a hold of you. says, I'm not letting you go. You might not feel like you can hold on to me, but my sheep know my voice and nothing plucks them out of my hand. No one and nothing plucks them out of my hand. He's got a grip on you. He's fighting for you. He's holding you together. Sometimes God calls, he brings deliverance by taking us through the fire, not out of it. And so if peace means tranquility, we're only seeing this promise some of the time. But if peace of God is a little deeper than that, it's that, no, the peace that he's talking about is that I'm not falling apart. I don't know how I'm still standing. I don't know how I'm still going through this. Something's holding me together because I know it's not in me. Well, beloved, you're a walking miracle. Think about Daniel, the book of Daniel, where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are facing the furnace because they won't bow down to the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar's erected. It says that he, he heated the furnace seven times hotter than normal. And the fire was so strong that the mightiest soldiers in the army, they got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego all tied up. They bind them and they're carrying them. The, the heat is so powerful that these mighty warriors are dying before they even get to the door. And these three wimpy Hebrew scholars make it in alive? Hang on a second. Something that can't be physically explained is happening there. It was a miracle that those three guys even made it into the furnace. They were being kept before they even started burning. God was already empowering and protecting them before the, the soldiers even got them into the furnace. That's shalom. You're being held together. This is stuff that would kill someone who doesn't have Jesus. But you're still standing because you're walking in a strength that's not your own. That's not chemicals. That's not hormones. That's not tricking your brain into whatever. No, that's the power of Almighty God. That's Jesus fighting for his people. That's the Spirit of God keeping you when you don't know how to keep yourself. That's how you overcome anxiety. You step back and remind yourself, Jesus is stronger. Lord, I thank you, God, that you are mightier than the thing that's opposing me right now. Jesus, thank you that I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. You split the sea so I can walk right through it. And you drown my fears in perfect love. This is who we are. That's how you overcome anxiety. That's what it means to have the shalom of God, the wholeness of God. When you should be falling apart, when you should be going to pieces, something's holding you together. That's the God of peace, giving his people something the devil can't touch and that he can't take away. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. And that's our final point, that God's peace is his promise 
to hold us together no matter what. God's peace is his promise to hold you together no matter what. No matter what you walk through in this life, beloved. Life is hard. Can I get an amen? Look, I'm not a pessimist. I'm anything but a pessimist. Sometimes I think I'm naively optimistic. You know, I believe a little too much. And, you know, but really, I don't feel bad about that. You know, I mean, we serve a God who is always good and faithful. I'm not a pessimist, but I acknowledge that life is tough. You're going to get thrown curveball after curveball. And, you know, you read the Bible. Some of the most beloved saints in, in biblical history weren't always given the heads up when something was coming their way. Everybody gets blindsided by crisis and tragedy and difficulty. And some days just hurt. Sometimes there ain't even nothing particular going on. You just wake up and you feel like, I hate the world today. Anybody with me on that? Sometimes I wake up, I'm like, Lord Jesus, I need you. And I work with Christians. I'm around them all day long. I don't know, maybe I expect more than I should. But I'm just like, really? You're saved? God help us all. But then I look in the mirror, I'm like, you're saved? Oh, are you sure there's not a plan B? Like you want to use us. But God still uses donkeys, apparently. So praise God for that. <laughs> but he holds us together. When we should be going to pieces, when the world is going to pieces, he holds his church together. You know? And I don't, I'm not a prophet. I don't have any kind of ministry like that. But I, I'm not stupid. I read the news. I read the scripture. And I can see we're on a certain traje trajectory in this country. And I don't know how bad the Lord is going to allow things to get before things will begin to improve and people will see the foolishness of casting God out of society. I don't know what it's going to take, but you know what? There's going to be a point. You might be getting trained for something much bigger than yourself right now. By, by learning to let God hold you together in the place you're in right now, you might be getting prepped to stand with the whole church so the world can watch us all be held together when everything else is going to pieces. There's much, much more at stake than our own personal struggles, beloved. So much more. Do not give up. Do not be anxious. Don't let anxiety rule your life. Praise him. Pray to him. And you watch him break your chains. You watch him open your prison doors. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Let's all stand. I just want to give an altar call. We're going to sing... You know we can. I know we can. I just want to give an invitation to people who've been feeling like they're going to fall apart lately. You know? And you just need the peace of God. You need the shalom of God to come upon you. You need Jesus to assure you, I've got you. I'm going to hold you together. He loves you. He'll do that today. He's not ashamed of your pain. He's not embarrassed about your weakness and feeling like that. He wants to build trust in you. And one of the first steps toward trust is just being honest and vulnerable before the Lord. So if you've been feeling like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I feel like I'm going to fall apart. I want you to make your way down to the front of this room. This isn't magical. This is, this is about simply outwardly acknowledging what God is inwardly doing. Lord, I'm responding to what I feel you doing in my heart right now. And so if you need God to give you his peace and assure you that he's got you, he's going to hold you together. He's not going to let you fall apart. He's going to keep you. Then just come and ask him for that. This is, we have a promise in the scripture. You open your mouth and you pray. You give thanks. You praise. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding is going to fight for your heart. It's going to fight for your mind in Christ Jesus. Because God says you're worth fighting for. Amen.
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God, we give you glory and honor and thanksgiving. Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for every victory, God. We thank you, Lord, for what you did 2,000 years ago. Lord, when you not only sealed the fate of the enemy, but you sealed the victory of your people. God, thank you, Lord, that you have given us assurance, Lord Jesus, that, God, we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. And, God, I thank you, Lord, that every person who came to the front today, Lord, you say they are worth fighting for. God, I thank you that you are fighting for their hearts. You are fighting for their minds. Lord, I thank you that you're going to rebuke the enemy, Lord. You are rebuking the devourer of their peace. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that they would sense that God confidence come upon them, that you are going to hold them together, Lord, that you will not let them be overcome. You will not let them be destroyed by the thing that they're facing. God, I pray they would sense tranquility in their hearts, oh God. Lord, I pray that they would feel real peace, oh God. Lord, that they would know the battle with the enemy that they're facing is a done deal. You decided the outcome of all our battles when you died on that cross and you said, it is finished. Every battle is finished. Every war, it's done. You have already guaranteed it, oh God. Jesus, we put our trust in what you've completed. We put our trust in what you've accomplished, oh God. Your victory has become ours by faith. God, it's not up to us. We can't beat the devil. God, we can't defeat our fears. We're too weak. We're too tiny, oh God. But Lord, in you, in you, oh God, we are more than conquerors. We are overcomers. We are a victorious people. And the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath our feet. God, thank you. That's our inheritance. That's our inheritance, oh God. Your word tells us. Lord, we remind ourselves of the truth of your word. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Every tongue that rises against you in judgment, you shall condemn. Jesus, teach us how to condemn the enemy, God. Teach us how to condemn the condemner, Lord. That's our inheritance, God. We thank you for who you have made us. Lord, apart from you, we're nothing. Lord, apart from you, O oh God, we were your enemies. Lord, apart from you, we were doomed for e eternal separation from you, and it was what we deserved. But Lord, you loved us in our sin, and you adopted us, and you made your enemies your children. Oh God, we thank you. God Almighty, we thank you for that love. Thank you for what you've done for us. And thank you that you will keep us, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you've got a grip on your sheet that the devil can't break. Oh God, keep us abiding in you. Teach us to rest in you and to trust in you, Lord, all our days. And we pray it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Praise God. Praise God. God bless you.